0: It's
1: the happiest season It's a movie about Two girlfriends It's really hard when both of them spends Christmas pretending that they are just friends Cause some parents are conservative Here they down the
0: chimney now
1: It's a real special rom-com You've got a case due the Aubrey Plaza too Mackenzie Davis has a real breakthrough But now it's time to bid you adieu as we talk about this rom com now.
0: When he's coming down the Chimpanzee Town. What is happening? Hey, you guys.
2: Connor! You made it.
0: Hey, guys. Merry Christmas. (gasps) Hi. Merry
2: Christmas. I don't know. (laughs) Yesterday, I'd never felt closer to another person in my entire life, and now I, I don't. I know her. And I thought she loved me and was happy, but I, I I see her here and she's so terrified of what everyone thinks. It's just making me wonder who the real harper is. You know. Well, maybe they both are. I was gonna ask her to marry me tomorrow. Um
0: going to get you
1: a real drink, okay? Welcome, everybody, to another great episode of The Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. I'm Kelly McCrillis, and as always with me is my super sleepy dad. Hello! Well, I guess he's not my dad. He's somebody's, <laughs> he's somebody's dad, though.
3: You're my dad, and you're my dad. Hey, pop pop pop, pop Dad, dad, daddy
1: One of mine and Robin's favorite ideas for a children's book, nobody can steal this, trademark, 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 <laughs> is... Are you my roommate? Are you my roommate? (laughs) I want to make a adult children's book. That is that.
3: How would it how do you have adult children's books? Isn't that a oxymoron? It's
1: it's like go the fuck to sleep. Yeah. You know? It's just it's a fun gag gift.
3: I do say that to my child because he doesn't speak English yet. So there's no children's (laughs) books for him either. (laughs) Baby's books
1: are things that he eats, not reads.
3: Something that I'm getting used to with my wife, is that she'll... She also can't read. <laughs> she'll explain things to him, like, don't hit my face, because it hurts. And she's very rational with him, and I'm just impressed. I'm like, you're shooting for the stars in terms of his comprehension. I like that. I like
1: talking to babies as if they're about 45 with law degree. I'm just like, you understand what I'm saying. Makes me not feel so alone.
3: As she explains it, as... It's not necessarily that he's articulating the words; it's that he's he can pick up on her tone, on her tone, which is true. Kids notice everything, so she's correct.
1: <sighs> I'm so tired, Ryan.
3: It's been a long week. It's <laughs> it's post Thanksgiving, so we're both uh, a okay. little bloated. Not
1: only that, Ryan along with my wife, along with me there for support and as a producer, um, finished a movie this week. Yay.
3: Yay.
1: And on top of that, we did two episodes, three episodes now of yeah. editing this week. It's, yeah, good job. It's well long, done on
3: all the editing. It's a long week. I need I'm, to, really, I'm really proud. See, I,
1: I almost want to, it's, what is it? It's a little earlier for Casting Pod than we usually do. It's... 1104 in the a.m Friday after Thanksgiving there's no more gin it's gone <sighs> we I haven't all gone I didn't have a drink last night do you ever Ryan do you ever get that day where you wake up super hungover and you're like I didn't drink last night and you're like oh no I'm just old
3: <laughs> yeah I mean that's every day when you have a baby
1: yeah I guess I have no excuse I keep audience can I tell you the worst thing about parents? It's like all your complaints go out the window and you have no free reign to complain about anything anymore because they just look at you and they go, uh-huh, sure. But I have this ace up my sleeve. It's called a baby. And you're like, how would you fit that baby up your sleeve? Don't do that. It's, I want
3: to sympathize. But I can't. <laughs> it, it It is similar to the husband in the delivery room complaining about a cold sore. It's like, um, you know. There's other bigger things going on in this room.
1: <laughs> uh, specifically, too big to be coming out of that hole. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. So, Ryan, uh, as tired as we are, I thought it might be fun to start the day off with another rom-com game.
3: Yeah, let's play. Okay.
1: So this one, i am it's kind of a play on deal or no deal that has absolutely nothing to do with deal or no deal, but hmm. it's called Couple or No Couple. Okay. Premise is this. I'm going to give you three different couples of actors and you're going to tell me which one never acted together as a couple in a movie
3: oh it's like two truths and a lie
1: basically but two couples and not a couple
3: man sarah would be so much better at this game than me i
1: know uh so ryan if anybody hasn't heard this on another podcast he's a walking imdb a lot of the time he he really like, I'm, I'm pretty good, but Ryan puts me to shame as far as, like, r- remembering and connecting names to movies. But his wife is way better at him with, like, celebrities goings-ons. She's a walking people magazine. Yes. So, I'm, uh, like, last time we were trying to guess which celebrity couple I was talking about with clues. This time, it's a little less in your wheelhouse, but I still think you might be able to do this. Kay? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I'm game. Bonus points if you can tell me what movie they acted in. Oh, for. okay, okay. So, I'm just going to read off three different couples. Okay. Ryan Phillippe and Reese Witherspoon. Okay. Jimmy Stewart and Betty Davis. Okay. Bing Crosby and Katherine Hepburn.
3: Okay. So, these, all these people dated in real life? Um, no. What's the game? <laughs> so... <laughs> The game,
1: as stated, one more time: couple or no couple. You have to tell me whether these people were a couple in a movie
3: together. In a movie. Yeah.
1: Though some of them were couples in real life, and you can get <laughs> bonus points for saying that.
3: Okay. 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 Let's let's just uh, so start... trying to throw you off with some extra there. <laughs> let's start working through it. Okay. Now, uh, clarifying question: mm-hmm. What constitutes couple? They they had to be romantically involved in a film. Okay. I'm gonna say ryan Philpy and reese witherspoon right or was it without her spoon? i you have to tell me what <laughs> witherspoon. um those that is one of the couple pairings okay cruel intentions correct got it is there a ding ding nice to meet you
1: chandler bing bing you got one okay there's another couple in there that acted together and you're trying to figure out which one
3: it is and one of them is not correct okay Uh, Bing, you said Bing Crosby and who? Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn or Jimmy Stewart and Betty Davis. Correct. Ooh. Well, let's let's talk it out. Okay. Let's talk it out. Betty Davis, um, you know, diva. Uh, The first diva, I would say. Wouldn't you say? Just one of the first. I mean, you don't have to give me clues. I just want to, you know, talk it out with you. You think you're going to trick me, but (laughs) I won't give anything away. You're
1: trying to trick me into giving away something. It won't work. It has worked! You've given everything away!
3: I know where the poison is! Then make your choice. I know you're smarter than that. I just want to have, you know, a little... Okay, Betty Davis, big diva. uh, Big diva. Um, And then you got, on the other side, you got Catherine Hepburn, Mm -hmm. who wasn't a diva. No, but she's fierce. fierce. Very fierce. Style icon. Fierce. Now, Jimmy Stewart, his his heyday started in the 30s. Well, it started... In the late 30s, mm-hmm. and continue through the 40s and the 50s, mm-hmm. Betty Davis likewise um, started her like. You, you guys know that Meryl Streep is today's Betty Davis. Is that? I think Betty. Totally.
1: Davis Totally, I could definitely see that because yeah, yeah, yeah. I
3: think Meryl Streep and Betty Davis have almost the same number of Oscar nominations. I don't think Meryl Streep and Jimmy Stewart acted together. <laughs> oh, that would have been cool though. They could have had a crossover in the '70s, anyways. Um, but I think Betty Davis started her like consecutive Oscar run in the mid '30s. You're stalling. I know I'm stalling. I'm I'm trying to just I'm I'm talking it. You just it, think I am. I'm just talking it out. So because I can't think of either one. Uh-huh. One of them's not, and I'm just trying to think out loud. Which one has chemistry together? Which one has the more likely of pairings? If I'm if I'm Louis B. Mayer. I'm thinking, we got to get these two together on screen. Hey, go kill that guy. Okay, so what we're going to do here is... Where's my cigar? We're going to put Bing
1: Crosby and Katherine Hepburn together.
3: Okay. I... Okay.
1: Or... We're going to do Jimmy Stewart and Betty Davis.
3: Betty Davis. I feel like I would know about a Betty Davis, Jimmy Stewart movie. So I'm going to eliminate that one and throw my hat into the wind and say Bing Crosby and Catherine Hepburn were what? The couple.
1: Shenandler bomb.
3: Ding, ding, ding. No, ding, ding, ding. Um, Jimmy Stewart
1: and Betty Davis acted together in one of the last movies of either of their careers right of way about a couple who wants to do assisted suicide together. Oh my God. It's like the least romantic premise and Bing Crosby and Catherine Hepburn never a couple in a film. Damn. I, I mean, they were close, though. It was close. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been surprised, but the reason why I put them together is because Katherine Hepburn plays a character that would have fallen in love with Bing Crosby in a different movie if you transfer Philadelphia's story to high society. Uh, high society. And
3: yeah. that's why I was thinking, I'm like, you know what, that's, that's close. Yeah, where
1: he plays the Cary Grant role and yeah. Grace Kelly plays her role if you switch them.
3: In case anyone doesn't know, there's the classic movie Philadelphia Story, and they remade it as a musical of High Society. Yeah. And it's they're both swell. They're both swell. I prefer
1: Philadelphia story much more, but um they're 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 kind of like doing the
3: same thing differently. Yeah. yeah. Well you stumped me. Good good job. Yeah. I'm I mean, so smart. I'm so smart. I got a C in that because I got one right. Um, and two wrong. Okay. So you're sitting at like 33%. I got a D.
1: No, you're sitting at an F- minus right now. But <laughs> I, I have to say, like, we won't grade it on that kind of curve. We'll just say that you lost and I won. You're uh, a loser. Uh, I'm a winner. Um,
3: and then it's just... You know, yeah, I I can be okay with that. Sure, I can be okay with that. You need to come up with your own game so you can stump me. <laughs> no, I I like I like this. I like being tested every every week. Mm, we're sharpening your
1: your skills that you'll never use except at parties. If
3: I were to play a game with you, what kind of game would you want to play?
1: Um, I I go for like a good game of chess. That's um, not. You can't really hear chess. <gasps> oh, oh, look at that, king. Tonight, seven. Rook me. Obviously, you're a checkers man.
3: Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I don't know. You're gonna have to come up with a game. Okay, but what do you want to be tested on? Like celebrities, actors. I think storylines. Storylines.
1: Storylines would be fun.
3: Can I do it completely off topic? Like, can I just do Miyazaki trivia? Sure. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could do whatever you want. It'd be fun if it turned back around to romantic comedies, which is what we're here to talk about. But sure, whatever.
3: Here, let me let me just pull one out of the hat. We'll we'll see what the people say. Ooh, what year? Did Princess Mononoke come out? seven? Okay, well, good job.
1: Well, <laughs> well give me well, some more time yeah, yeah, to yeah. prepare. I mean, I, I had time to prepare for this. So okay. it's like I'm Batman, and I've been given an ultimate amount of time to prepare to fight Superman,
3: and so that was the only reason I could win. And I'm Dick Grayson, and I can only jump around.
1: Oh, a nice Batman reference, man. Yeah,
3: right? He's an acrobat, right? Correct, yes. All right!
1: Part of the Flying Graysons. All right, well, I'm going to take this... Um, a pair of glasses down my nose a little bit after pushing them up and uh, ask you, what movie are we here to talk about today? Lesbian Christmas movie. No, <laughs> it's not Lesbian Christmas movie. It happiest is Happiest Season. Happiest Season. Exclusively on Hulu. Um, We just finished this movie, which is a little bit different than how we usually do things because uh, we have no time in our We're lives. We're a little short on time. And Ryan, first thoughts?
3: Um, So I'm just going to say this movie's got its heart in the right place, um, but... It didn't work for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I don't want to bash it and say it doesn't have value because the story it's telling is a valuable, valuable. one. But the way it goes about it, they didn't succeed <laughs> in what they were in their execution.
1: Okay. I um you know I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think they succeeded but there was part of this movie that felt almost intentionally so a little hallmarky to me Mm -hmm. um where it had um i think you're right it's heart in the right place it was missing a little bit of that heart that i go to christmas movies for and this this movie we'll probably get into a lot of this felt a little family stone-ish but missing a lot of the heart from family right um, and part of that was to do with the characters, and part of that, to me, was due to like a misunderstanding of its own humor.
3: Yeah, thank you for bringing up Family Stone. That's a much better comparison. The one I had in my head was While You Were Sleeping, which is, um, in terms of fam- family dynamics, is another example. But I think yours right. is a better example.
1: Right, but I, I understand why you went there because While You Were Sleeping does have some kooky humor while dealing. That's with, literally with the word. Something that's the word I used. Kooky. kooky. Um, but I but, want to cook. No, I think your comparison is good because you have Sandra Bullock and she's like hiding this aspect of, Of I mean, it's really different, but like it, it has some of the same mechanics.
3: Yeah. Well, before we get ahead of ourselves, let's talk about what the movie's actually about. Oh, well, would you like me to tell you a story? Tell me a story.
0: Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I, I ask you about love. Probably called me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the
3: end. What do you mean? That's the end. That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga.
0: The end.
1: What we have here is an East Coast couple, mm-hmm. um, in Harper and Addie, played by um, Mackenzie Davis and, and Kristen Davis. Stewart. Kristen Stewart. And I have to say, both of them. Everybody is acting well in this film case do once again case do blew great. me away she was really good and i liked uh mackenzie davis mm-hmm. i i don't i don't know how many things i've seen mackenzie davis in but i give this a really
3: good job she's in that show halt and catch fire remember when i was telling you about that
1: oh yeah i and saw then i just kind of gave up on it <laughs> i saw netflix's like halt and catch fire display the other day when it came up on like you should watch this and i was like Oh, it's another, another picture of a whole bunch of people sitting in a warehouse and looking serious.
3: Yeah, It's my problem with TV dramas is like, well, what else kind of conflict can we come up with? And yeah, that's basically what the show
1: is. And that's kind of what this movie is. What else kind of conflict can we come up with? Yeah. And so we have these two characters who have a really fun life. And we immediately understand that, like Mackenzie Davis is a reporter and um, Abby Kristen Stewart is a like she's she's going to school for art and in the meantime she's taking care of pets typical grad student thing she's just spending. are they time her taking... pets or no no she's taking care of other people's pets oh yeah so i don't know if she's like doing a bunch of pet sitting or something but that's what it seems like okay abby has a friend in daniel levy who is hilarious in this film it looks like i'm watching like a younger queer <laughs> um eugene levy it's yeah. amazing and same eyebrows. Yeah. And Kristen Stewart doesn't like Christmas is basically where we come down. And um, uh, b- 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 Harper does, her girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And um, that sets up our central premise. They climb a house. They go look at Christmas trees. Uh, Abby is... Pr- going to propose to Harper. She goes and gets a ring with Daniel Levy. But in a fit of love struck romance, I think we've all been there. uh, Harper makes a mistake by inviting Abby to Christmas with her family, Mm -hmm. who is kind of a little bit more, I, I would say conservative, but also just like perfectionist. And so... Harper realizes this mistake the next day, but Kristen Stewart has like gotten over that that hump of, like, I'll go visit your family, and they're off to the races.
3: Yeah, but what we find out is Mackenzie Davis has not yet come out to her family. Which she told Abby that she had. And so on their way to the house, she confesses that she hasn't come out, and they, were, they are going to have to use the whole week as a ruse that not only are they not together... But they both need to portray themselves as straight, right? Have you, Ryan? Have you ever had a pullover conversation? Pullover? No, cardigan. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that was um, a Dumb and Dumber reference mm, because mm. the cop. And- did you Did you hear those crickets? Yeah. No. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it was really good, actually. Um,
1: I'm ashamed at myself for how much I like that joke. <laughs> <laughs> have I had a?
3: pullover conversation?
1: Because when when Harper tells this to Abby, she pulls over the car and like we cut to pull over the car. This is a conversation we need to have while not driving.
3: Yeah, I've never had a pullover conversation.
1: I have had, in past relationships especially, a quite a few pullover conversations. But have you had
3: it with Robin?
1: Um, I think we've had one pullover conversation where it's like Whatever is going on in the car, it's like, ooh, this deserves way more attention than I can give it as a driver on a road. And so we pull over and have that conversation. Yeah. And so that felt really real to me.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is, uh, I'll just get into why this movie didn't work for me. I'm still thinking about pullovers. <laughs> is the content of this movie has pullover conversations? Mm-hmm. And when you're doing a style of this movie, um, you could do it in a movie like The Family Stone, where they they have more dramatic situations.
1: Yeah, they have a crash conversation in that movie where, what's her name from Sex and the City? Why can't I ever remember her name? Sarah Jessica Parker uh-huh. crashes her car in the front yard, and then <laughs>
3: Luke Wilson just walks over and gets in, and they have a conversation. <laughs> sure. That, that's a little more literal. Sure. <laughs> but a conversation that gets real. Mm-hmm. and there's a lot of conversations in this movie that get real. Sure. It's a delicate tone to weave. And the beginning of this film, I'd say the first 30 minutes was holding it together. It really was. I guess we'll get into what kind of breaks that tone or where
1: whether where this film seems to misunderstand itself a little bit. Yeah. Um and I think that's
3: a little bit after they get to the house. parents' house. Yeah. So but so far so good in terms of the storytelling yeah. of like Okay, here's your setup to the whole movie. Yeah. Is that they've got to, you know, and pretend. Let, let me make it clear the filmmaking in this is way,
1: and the writing is way better than a Hallmark film. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is a studio I, I don't, film. I don't want to do a one to one comparison. The, the people who made this weren't doing a paint by numbers.
3: No, and this is not the Christmas Prince. This is no. This is better than that. <laughs> um, Although, I, strange as I might say it, I, we had a terrible time watching Christmas Prince, was it last year? And we, yeah. you made me watch it? Uh huh. There's something about the Christmas watch. It was it my first time too. Well, there's something about the Christmas Prince, even though it's totally stupid of a film, still has that um, hot chocolate feeling to it. Sure, that this movie never really gets a hot chocolate feeling. Your lady, oh Swiss Miss instant cocoa. I
1: think at times it does, but it sh- it pulls you away from it by the actions of the family. And we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Um, So
3: that's the setup, and then they get to the house, and we meet her family.
1: Well, and uh, Abby Kristen Stewart is, she goes along with this idea. Yeah. Um. And you can tell she really is in love with Harper because she's like, and that she gets it. She's like, I'm not going. Look, this is actually
0: a really good opportunity for them to see how amazing and kind and smart you are you said it yourself you're great with parents so they're going to meet you they're going to fall in love with you and then that'll make it so much easier when i do tell them look i get it okay i am asking a lot of you but i promise i will tell them everything after the holidays
2: Okay, we can do this. It's five days. How bad can it be?
1: I get that it's not easy. It hurt me, but I'm here for you. And I I felt like I understood a little bit more of their connection right there when she made this choice to say, I don't like it, but I'll go along with it for you. Mm-hmm. And so I was on board with their romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: yeah, definitely. Their chemistry in this whole film is it's great. Yeah, it's really good. So they get to the house. They get to the house. We meet the parents, Mary Steenburgen uh-huh. from Back and, to the Future 3. <laughs> and Victor Garbo.
1: Garbo or Garber? Garber. Garber. <laughs> but we were talking about old divas. So. Sure.
3: Uh, maybe he's of the Garbo family. I don't think so. Oh. He
1: just didn't want to be associated but still liked exactly. G in his he's name. Like, I don't
3: want people to think I'm a diva. <laughs> and Mary Steenburgen is a insta-mom and is... That's her new thing mm-hmm. is documenting everything for the Instagram account, which I, I totally get.
1: And she's like a a rich East Coast like mom. She's yeah. just like, you know, my life is throwing parties and, you know, I've raised my daughters and so I'm just, I'm here to, to have
3: fun and wear dresses and yeah. drink drinks. And then there's dad who's a city councilman who's running for mayor. Yeah. And the- Wears comfy sweaters. The big side plot to this movie is that he's trying to nab a major donor. And the right. reason why she Mackenzie Davis hasn't come out to her um, family yet is that there's this whole pressure of the dad running for mayor, and he she doesn't want to stress them out any further with this big revelation, so she's just going to wait until the mayor thing gets figured out.
1: Right, and that's kind of where the writing takes a left turn for me, because the premise is, with Harper, I haven't come out because it's not the right time. And what it really is, is she... Is afraid to do it like mm-hmm. it's not the right time is part of it for sure but the crux of it is she's afraid of what that's going to do to her family
3: yeah and it's a good excuse with right. this mayor thing of right. like oh i'll just wait and i think we all make up excuses because of a more psychological reason why like we don't want to do something of like oh i don't want to do x because you know of these practical reasons why but it's really really avoid practical reasons or it's you're just you're too afraid or you're too insecure or it's a bigger thing yeah and the movie absolutely gets at it Mm -hmm. and i'm getting ahead of myself but here again the tone of this movie is incorrect that's my that was my assessment of it it's it's an incorrect tone because you're getting at really insightful aspects to this story. You're you're adding a lot of psychological realism, Mm -hmm. but you're using the wrong genre. Mm. You can have a Christmas holiday film, but you're gonna have to be more before sunrise about it. You're gonna have to be more realistic in how you're setting these things up. Yes. And I again it comes down to the characters.
1: And so we we have this big setup where like, you know, the two of them are there and (laughs) they show up and from basically everything that this family knows about Abby is that she's an orphan, because her parents died 10 years ago. Right. And that she's Harper's roommate. And that's funny, but man, they really go, like this family is so out of touch because they're just like, oh, you're an orphan. Oh, that's so brave.
2: It's so nice to meet you too. Thank you for having me here. It is nothing. Harper's father and I are always happy to
0: open our doors to those in need.
2: Yeah, hi, you must be Abby. Yeah, nice to meet you. You too. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm so sorry about your parents. Oh, no. It, it, it happened a long time ago. You're so brave. Oh, you don't need to be. Jane. Mom, he
0: just... Okay, that's enough, Jane. Yeah. Jane. Too much. Jane always too much. You're too much. Oh, and this is Harper's. Orphan friend, this
2: oh. is Abby. yes, of course.
0: Not.
2: Okay, sorry. <sighs> Terrible, you are there. I'm sorry about all this mess. What? No, this is so nice. Better than your room at the orphanage. Oh, I, I wasn't in an orphanage because I, I was 19 when my parents died. Oh, one of the lucky ones.
0: Oh,
3: lucky like it's funny they, for a second, yeah, but then she explains. Oh, oh no. no, they died when I was 19. And so it's like, if you want to have psychological real, psychological realism, they can't be humorously this stupid yeah, exactly. to not understand that she's fine. Right, and those two things can exist in
1: two different movies and play very funny or very serious, but it just doesn't work. And so, like, but let's set up the characters. You, you said the mom, the dad, and then we've got uh, Jane shows up. She's... Um, Uh, the middle sister in this group where harper is the youngest and jane is silly and i want to play dungeons and dragons with her yeah she's a big nerd she's really weird she's the most
3: um um sincere of all of them and she's pretty transparent that you can tell there's something really anxious about her and Mm -hmm. really insecure about her but she struggles through it
1: definitely one of my favorite characters in the movie yeah she's
3: she's really wonderful um I like her a lot. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and uh, she's played by Mary Holland, who also
1: co-wrote this movie with Clea DuVall. Yeah, yeah. Then you also uh, showing up a little bit later in the movie is Allison Bree, who is a little bit more, I, I would say, severe. Um, yeah. She's she's she harbors a lot of resentment against Harper. They obviously have like a history. Of Harper is now the the favored one because she's like a political analyst. Kind of maybe for a newspaper or sh- a journalist at least yeah, and, I think she covers politics for and Allison Bree's character Sloan uh, and her husband used to be lawyers but now they're
3: selling like goop products like, products like and gift baskets. baskets that are of the goop generation which I-, I buy as like a quirky career thing right but Allison Bree here, I'm sorry she's a really good actor, but what Claire Duval does with her is all wrong I, I oh yeah go talk about that I it's it's so wrong. Because we're supposed to get that she's passive aggressive and has kind of this underlying resentment towards. Um, yeah, she's not con- passive at all. It's just aggressive. Yeah, and it, and it just seems like there's. It's as if like something really traumatic had happened between them, and it's just it doesn't fit in this story. It I, doesn't fit at all. I think
1: all of this has to do with. The setup of these characters is because we are introduced to these characters in such intense ways. Yeah. There's no like, hey, how's it going? And like a hug and a like a nice to see you again after all this time. And that's that's what the family stone does, where all these characters have history with each other and we get into that history and it gets brought up. But it's after they've all interacted as family first.
3: And, you know, the family stone, there's like, okay. Just let's take a little sidebar in Family Stone. Okay, just a short one. Yeah. we're just starting. You've got Rachel McAdams, um, Luke Wilson, Dermot Mulroney, and who, any other siblings in there? Who uh, else? Tyrone uh, Giordano. I don't remember him. He's Thad. Huh? Thad. Thad? I don't remember
1: Thad. He's uh, deaf. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and then you have Elizabeth
3: Reeser. She's the one with the kids. Oh, okay. My point is you watch them interact in the first act and you get the dynamic between each and every one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's just behavior and it's nothing direct. Everything is indirect in how they show like what Rachel McAdams and Luke Wilson like their relationships right. it's like. It's very what, individual. Um and we just nothing is said where it's like Someone says something snarky to someone, and we're supposed to be like, "Oh, so they have a history together." Yeah. It's everything is even Brian White, who's Thad's husband in the
1: movie, like has individual interactions where he like teases one of them, or like he has a family dynamic with them.
3: Yeah, but uh, the it's it's super clunky here in happiest season of how what Clay Devall's setting up of the dynamic between all the sisters. I didn't buy any of it.
1: I I yeah, it was. <sighs> hard for me they worked all on individual levels like so Alison brie
3: i think does an amazing job with, she she's with a, what
1: she's told to do
3: right it's one of those cases where it's like you're great but you got really bad direction like there is a uh, a line that allison brie gives to
1: abby at one point in time when they're at a party and she says
2: are you enjoying the party?
1: And she says it with like venom in her voice, and I was like, "Oh, yeah she's scary, really,
3: really um, aggressive towards everyone in this movie." And n- no one in this movie, aside from our two main characters, I I don't want to be around them. Well, I want to be around Jane, but I don't want to be around any of these people. And w- well, I you, would be around Harper. It's just no. That's what I mean. Yeah, the Harper and Jane. Yeah. Yeah. But that's. If you're going to make a, a cozy Christmas rom-com, why are you populating it with such unlikable characters?
1: Yeah, and I here's the thing. I, I think Ryan and I would—I I kind of agree, I agree with you on this. I think all of these aspects can be part of characters, and they can have unlikable moments to them. But what you have to do is give us also a reason to
3: like them at the same time. That's, we get—I mean, you agree. We get nothing other than she's kind of a— she's not even that much of a good mom she's just a mom
1: yeah um it's it's hard with that character and what you do by the end of the movie you understand that she's tamping something down and this is this is my main thing with this characters because we got to get through the plot of this movie yeah you have a bunch of characters that are hiding who they are a little bit except for jane um and that suppression is making them act a little bit more aggressively. but what it should be is they are tamping a lot of stuff down and that like that should coincide with them tapping down their anger towards each other and it should explode later on in the movie like it does but they've just been like Harper and Sloan are just so back and forth against each other in like in like undercutting ways but not hidden ways and there's no love there either and it's like i get that sloan's been harboring some resentment towards harper this whole time but it it was way too upfront and really and, obvious yeah. and just
3: breaks the illusion of storytelling and
1: nothing is not more tinny and and bad sounding to me than obviousness in a movie that's supposed to be
3: realistic and that's why i'm saying the tone is incorrect. Yeah. Not that it's off, it's wrong. Because in Father the Bride it's fluffy and the conflicts that people get into it's like oh george it's like, pretty, it's pretty it, stupid. It doesn't get any at any like psychological truths. It just gets at that ugh, george banks at it again. It just there's nothing you're not going to get anything, you know, out of it. So but this movie what it does well um is it
1: Basically, most of the interactions between Harper and Abby, I like. Yes. Whenever the two of them are like dealing with the fact that like at one point in time, I think it's the second night Harper sneaks down to Abby's room and they sleep together and it's it's good because they both need it. Like if you're hiding that you're if not only are you hiding that you're gay, but you're hiding that you're in a relationship with somebody who's upstairs and you two have to sleep in separate bedrooms that weighs on the heart. And
3: like a midnight tryst is nothing if not perfect for this genre. I think Sarah and I had something like that, um, where we were dating and we went on some kind of trip together and we didn't have a, an overnight tryst, but it was one of those times where, we weren't married, so we were in separate rooms because we were staying with someone's family. Yeah. and we got to sneak off to one each other's room and kiss a little yeah. bit. Yeah,
0: and, and
3: then go back to our own rooms. But it's just one of those things of like, oh man, I so relate to this situation. This this seemed like one of those families
1: as well, where if even if they were dating, and even if they did live together, and even if the family like knew about it and was totally cool with it, still separate, they rooms. probably still would have been put in separate rooms. Which is cool. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever your family's you know good with, I guess, but those moments where like they're out at a dinner table and you can tell that Harper is like, man, I hate that I'm putting Abby through this, but she's still choosing her family every time rather than Abby every time. Mm -hmm. And you can see it eating away at Abby slowly, but surely, even though she's putting on a good front, I thought that was really good in this film.
3: Yeah. And so the movie proceeds with, you know, the subplotting of like, they're doing things to help dad get the mayor, Donor. Yep. And, you know, they go to this big swanky party and... They go out to dinner in a restaurant and invite Harper's ex-boyfriend. Yeah. And those are the hijinks where, like, the mom invites Harper's ex-boyfriend because she's like, oh, maybe they'll get together. And, you know, obliviousness, stuff like that. Sure, And Harper plays along so well where by the middle of the movie, I'm like, I don't know if she's actually into Kristen Stewart anymore. Because she does such a good job of putting on this show that it's like are you interested in Kristen Stewart? Yeah, I... Like, she...
1: What it does, and I wish I wish they would have talked about this a little bit more, is she looks like she's falling into the safe place to be right now. Because the dangerous place to be is in Kristen Stewart's arms. The safe place to be is with her old friends that she's known for a long time, an old boyfriend that she only broke up with because she's, like, gay, but still likes her, and her family likes that, like... You know, he's around. And so she finds this really safe space to be in. And that takes all the pressure off of her. And I wish at some point in time that wasn't just subtext. And it was Mm -hmm. something that she, like when Kristen Stewart confronts her, she's like, look, it's just easier for me. Mm -hmm. Because even though we wouldn't, we would say that's mean, it's still something that could be forgivable if she acknowledges it and moves past it.
3: Yeah. Another subplot that happens is we meet Mackenzie Davis's ex-girlfriend. Yes, Aubrey uh, Plaza. Aubrey Plaza, who, who is wonderful in prob- this
1: movie. Yeah, one of the best.
3: Her and Kristen Stewart. Uh, this is the best performance I've seen from Aubrey Plaza, and I, I adore her in Parks and Rec. But this is so great that I'm like, why isn't this movie starring you? I love your persona here.
1: Yeah, I like part of that is the character. She's she's basically. She's a little jaded against, um, but not in a mean way. She's just like, at one point in time, we understand that Harper and her were not only best friends, but they started dating in high school. And then Harper basically threw her under the bus at one point in time in regards to like their relationship.
3: Yeah. Growing up, we were totally inseparable. We were best friends. And then freshman year, we became more than friends. We started dating. But nobody knew that, obviously. And we would like leave these little love letters in, in each other's lockers. And one day one of Harper's friends found one of the letters and she asked Harper what it was about. And Harper basically just said that I am gay and that I wouldn't leave her alone. And then within a couple of days, like everybody in school found out and everybody was so awful to me
2: sorry that's i'm sorry
3: yeah so the thing that i can relate to is just being in love with somebody that is
2: too afraid to show the world who they are
1: the way aubrey plaza
3: plays this character is so realistic yeah it's amazing there's there's little ticks that she like looks at kristen stewart at one in one shot where she does this kind of like realization tick that is really subtle and just I, I really loved it. it just, I really appreciated all the yeah. things that she was bringing. She was
1: doing a lot of like small, close acting. And there was even like... She was doing the kind of acting that makes you like ask questions. Where I'm like, ooh. Like, you obviously feel for Kristen Stewart. And you're like, you know, you, you want to be there for her because you've been through a similar situation. But you two also have a connection and kind of a chemistry. And I'm like, at one point in time in this movie, I thought it was going to do a family stone and have... Those two fall in love during this trip.
3: Yeah, because you get to the middle of the movie and you really don't like anyone in Mackenzie Davis's family except Jane. Except Jane, uh, you don't really like. You don't even like the twins. You don't like the twins, uh, Allison Breeze kids. You don't like what Mackenzie Davis is doing. You understand what she's doing, but it's it's to a point where it's like, this can't work. No, this can't. They can't exist in a relationship if this is what she's going to do
1: right because it's really big of Kristen Stewart to go along with this crazy plan but by the third day there's this time when Harper um, stays out with her friends after Abby goes home because she's like tired and she doesn't feel like a part of this crew plus she has to pretend to just be you know, Harper's friend, which is just hard. And so she goes home and then she goes to basically check on uh, Harper the next morning. Cause she was out till two. You can tell she's like coming to do that thing where she's like, you know, are you hungover? Do you need anything? And ha- Harper just becomes mean. And she's like, get off my back and stop, you know,
3: yeah. And, it- you know, smothering me. And it's like this writing doesn't make sense right there. Cause the setup was, Mackenzie Davis is like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, put on the show that, you know, we're not together and, you know, it's just for the few days. But it gets to a point where Kristen Stewart's like, let's go home. And she's like, No, I want to stay out with my friends. It's just kind of like to save face or to just hang out with your friends? Wouldn't you rather spend the evening with your girlfriend?
1: Yeah. And I mean I I get like I I get it, but the way that she acts is so like if you're doing that thing where you're hanging out with your friends and your significant other texts you goodnight after you've put them in this situation and you don't text them back, that means something. It means that you've stopped caring as
3: much. Yeah. And I'm just kind of with Case to at this moment. I'm like... I don't think this relationships is going to work out. Me too. And <laughs> you don't want to go that far in a movie like this. You go. You have misunderstandings. You have conflicts where you know things aren't working great. But this, to me, is just like systemically, this is not going to work as a relationship.
1: Yeah, because I might understand it a little bit more if, like, Kristen Stewart was being a chore for her, and she was like, "I just need to escape this while I'm with my family." If it made me empathize with harper a little bit more in that regard but kristen stewart's been a banging girlfriend yeah this whole time like she's been basically perfect and still hurt at times and still like you know she's not like you know politician's wife putting a smile on kind of deal or husband but there's one in this movie yeah. <laughs> so um the but yeah i just can't empathize with harper's choices
3: yeah, so the movie goes on and, you know, Daniel Levy, 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 Levi, Levy, 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 Levy? Yeah. Levy? Um, is kind of, you know, our comedic, <laughs> he's the comedic relief in a romantic comedy. There's, that's, that's a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a problem where we're, we're constantly cutting to him when things get too real in case do calls him and he's always got a humorous scene in mm-hmm. the movie. But we're cutting to him as if he's the comedic relief from these dramatic I mean, he scenes. Is. I didn't dislike that. I thought he no, was no. funny. He's perfect in this movie. Uh-huh. But the movie is toned in such a way that if he feels like comedic relief in a comedy, in a romantic comedy, right. Where you've gone
1: too far. Where everything is serious. Like everything in this movie is serious. And when they try to play for comedy, like at one point in time, um, the sisters all go to the sisters and Alison Brie's husband, who's also not bad in this movie. He's like, he's like one of the family members. And I'm like, Oh, you seem okay. Mm-hmm. But he's just nothing like his character. Also is Also kind
3: just, of passive aggressive. He meets, um, case do. And he just immediately tells her like, Oh, you should probably put some coconut. Yeah. Like lotion on your hand or again, coconut. Again,
1: belongs in a, in a more of a, uh, who's that other director? Who's not Judd Apatow? Um, but directs movies like him,
3: uh, the Adam McKay. Yeah,
1: it, he felt like an Adam. That felt like an Adam McKay movie kind of thing, where it's like you're being so obviously away.
2: Thank you, honey. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is Abby.
1: Am Eric.
3: Nice to meet you. A mm-hmm. uh, teaspoon of coconut oil adds some nice moisture to those hands. Oh, yeah. Thank you. You're again having so much psychological realism everywhere. In the same moments. That- yeah. That didn't it didn't work that to me. It's just like, okay, well we're in psychological realist land. That was really mean of you. Yeah,
1: I know. (laughs) Really mean. And so then he, uh, they're all at the ice skating rink and there's this moment that would work so well in a romantic comedy where, um, Alison Brie and Mackenzie Davis, like are butting heads as sisters, like one's the eldest, one's the youngest. And, like they want to show each other up by skating around the rink faster than the other one and it's just like like i i can buy this as a as a fun premise for a rom-com right but it doesn't end up being either funny or dramatic it lives in this like tepid water and that's funny for being an ice rink where (laughs) it's just like the drama is boring and it's not funny Mm -hmm. and it's illustrating a point that
3: we already get and allison breeze presence in this movie since she's painted in such a one flat light. She just comes off as a straight up antagonist. And I don't want her to be an antagonist. Right. No, and not just because it's Allison Brie, but mainly because in a movie like this,
1: our main job as filmmakers is to let us understand everybody. Because you're making an ensemble movie with a family. And even if I don't like... Who that person is? I still need to understand them, and I don't understand any of these characters really, truly, except for Kristen Stewart and uh, Mackenzie Davis, until nine tenths of the way through the movie, when yeah. the realization all happens.
3: Well, so the we round the corner to the end of the movie, and there's the big Christmas dinner with um, the the donor, the donor, and everyone's got to be perfectly behaved. And that's when you know secrets are revealed and truths come out. And basically, Alison Bree discovers Mackenzie Davis in case two in a romantic embrace, and she's like, "Oh my God, they're a lesbian! I have to tell my parents." And I'm just like, "Well,
1: yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. She doesn't seem like she has to tell her parents. It's more she's getting revenge on her sister by not answering whether she will or won't. And I
3: think if they didn't start fighting in the hallway, maybe she would have just held it over her head." She seems to be going up the stairs, walking towards her parents as if I'm going to tell them right now. Like, I don't I'm think so. She, well, then what because, is Mackenzie Davis freaking out about in the moment of? Well,
1: because she's worried that's what she's going to do. It, it, to me, that was one of the best sister dynamic things, like a sibling dynamic, where it's like, oh, I have something and I could lord it over you. And the other one's like, don't, 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 don't. And, sh- and she's just like, well, uh, you can't stop me. But it, why? Like, I don't be, want to it. be antagonistic. I know it doesn't fit from the entire first part of the movie where, like, basically, Alison Bree's struggle is that she sees Harper as trying to be the golden child all the time now that she's taken the throne. And so she doesn't see anything she's doing as worthwhile or real. And as soon as she can hold something over her where she knows that she's not going to be the quote unquote golden child anymore, she wants. Mackenzie to suffer, Mackenzie Davis Harper to suffer, and yeah, that's there's something kind of diabolical about that. And the reason is is because it's more diabolical because we do not understand Alison Bree right now.
3: No, no. I mean, and it it is diabolical regardless, but maybe if we understood the motivation behind it, mm-hmm. if we understood who she was, deep. That's down what inside, I'm saying.
1: You're right. Yeah. It the the lack of understanding of her character at that moment makes it ambiguous as to what she's going to do which is fine but it it can't be for ambiguous motivations
3: yeah so yeah. she finds this out and then they fight because mackenzie davis is worried that she's going to go tell the parents which i got the sense that she was going to do right away okay <laughs> um and then the fight bursts into the in white elephant everyone, gift exchange which is another subplot of this movie yeah <laughs> and they have this big you know comical mischievous mischievous fight and you know pe- she's takes this giant painting that Jane made and, you know, bops it over her. And Alison Brie's like, Mackenzie Davis is a lesbian and Case stu is her girlfriend and just outs her like that. And then Mackenzie Davis denies it outright. And that's when Kristen Stewart's
1: like, all right, I'm I've out. had enough. Because you know, she's been drinking and hanging out with Aubrey Plaza all night. And even though they almost made up down in the basement, like, this is the last straw. And so she leaves, and her and Daniel Levy have a really good conversation that in another movie would work even better than it does here.
2: My parents loved Christmas. We would do all the stuff. We would decorate and do the tree and watch, like, every Christmas movie. After they died, I, I couldn't really bring myself to acknowledge Christmas. Huh. And the holidays were just a huge reminder of them not being here. So I really thought maybe this year with Harper meeting her family you know, it would just feel different. I don't I don't think that she loves me as much as I thought she did.
0: Hey. Harper not coming out to her parents has nothing to do with you.
2: How could it not?
0: Remind me, what did your parents say when you told them you were gay?
2: Um, that they loved and supported me.
0: That's amazing. My dad kicked me out of the house and didn't talk to me for 13 years after I told him. Everybody's story is different. There's your version and my version and everything in between. But the one thing that all of those stories have in common is that moment right before you say those words when your heart is racing and you don't know what's coming next. That moment's really terrifying. And then once you say those words, you can't unsay them. A chapter has ended and a new one's begun, and you have to be ready for that. Can't do it for anyone else. Just because Harper isn't ready It doesn't mean she never will be. And it doesn't mean she doesn't love you.
3: It's the best scene in the movie where
1: like we get the reason why Kristen Stewart doesn't like Christmas is because she used to have it perfect with her parents. Like she and her parents used to do up Christmas right. And now that she doesn't have them, Christmas just doesn't feel right anymore. Mm -hmm. And it, And I mean, that's what Christmas movies and Christmas romantic comedies in particular do best is it shows you that even though there's like differences and there's like coming together makes you feel happy when it's cold
3: and dark outside. It's just one of those really simple preternatural things. Mm -hmm. And Daniel Levy tells her the story about what it's like to come out. And what his experience was as compared to hers, which was really nice. And his was not. Yeah. It was really bad. It didn't go well. And it really, it does something that the
1: movie should have done earlier, which is help us connect to the struggle that, um, that Harper is going through.
3: Yeah. And at the end of the day, the movie saying, oh, we're a Christmas rom-com. And we get to the end of the movie. I'm like, I'm sorry, but you're a coming out movie. Like that's, that's kind of the, the real conundrum to the film. I Here's the thing. Uh, would you say that Family Stone is a Christmas rom-com? It's a Christmas rom-com in the style, not the style, but more in tune tonal-wise to what is there not Brokeback Mountain, but what's some of our more serious films, like Before Sunrise or... Um, I don't know. It's a lot more serious of a film. It is it, not a fluffy. It's I it's mean, it's warm, but it it does everything. It gets really real. And it's right. the kind of movie where if we're hanging out all all of us like you know, if it was with Sarah's parents or something like, "Let's like watch Family Stone." I'll be like, "Um, my family watches it every year now." I know, but it's still such a like heavy film to get through that i would much rather watch elf even though it's stupid but Um, it's so it gets i guess so
1: but what what i'm my point is is though it gets real it ends super fluffy and happy Mm -hmm. like in almost like a tear jerky kind of way and i don't think you need to separate a coming out movie and a romantic comedy christmas movie you can have both in the same film it just gets so... This movie is just not executed well enough it, to it, do it.
3: It gets so serious. And I feel like if I was doing script doctoring work, because I think at the end of the day, this could have been solved if the script had been fixed.
1: I agree. I think they could have kept the like the the heavy stuff in and yeah. had
3: their cake and eat
1: it too with like, yeah. the light fluffy stuff. But the script needed a huge reworking.
3: And, and this is the thing is if I was in the room with the... Oh, wait if we're going to get into this conversation, I know we're in the middle of one bit, but we need to do another bit. Yeah, we can do another bit. This is how I would rewrite the movie.
2: You write your first draft with your heart.
0: And you rewrite with your head.
3: I feel like I'd be in the room with them and it's just kind of like my, this is why representation is, is interesting, is that I in a billion years never could have come up with this story because I, I don't, I don't have that Like as a straight man, I would have never been able to have the, I don't know, there's something so, the pathos in that scene with Daniel Levy talking about the coming out story. I don't think I could have written that scene. I've written one of those scenes and I'm a straight man. That's good for you. That's totally cool. uh, That's the thing. I just, I was like, there's so much honesty in this film. It Mm -hmm. it just feels so personal and transparent. And I really, I I really appreciate it. Yeah. And some of the writing was like that. I really love it. And that's why I feel hesitant to criticize them because it's like I don't want to say what your anything about your content is wrong because I think well, all why, your, that that's not even an issue. It's it's the contents, how the content is packaged, right? That we have this monologue from Daniel Levy that is really kind of heartbreaking when we hear it. Of like I really connected to his character when I heard sure. his coming out story. Sure. Um, And it made me sympathize more with Mackenzie Davis's plight. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't want to say don't do that. Right. Like don't and don't even tamp that down. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the struggle for me is like, I don't know how you. That's why I say this is a coming out movie. It's like, I don't know how. I guess I don't know how to rewrite this movie. I do. But but we both agree on the problem and and we both agree with this. what the symptom is, I don't know what the medicine is. I want to hear what your medicine okay. is. Okay, so I think you're...
1: Well, we might disagree on what the symptom is um, because you're saying that it gets too fluffy and too dark and the two don't really mesh.
3: Yeah, I don't know how to meet in the middle. So for me, it's not that. Um, because
1: again, I will bring it up one more time. The Family Stone does it where it takes uber fluffiness and it combines it with the emotional realness of what is going on in their lives and it swirls it together and cuts back and forth between the two of them perfectly Mm -hmm. now what this movie does is it says there is a real world where there are real characters dealing with real things and there's a bunch of cartoon people living in that real world who are going to make jokes to the audience Yeah. This is Mary Sternberg. uh, Sternberg? Steenberg. Mary Steenberg. Like, Virgin. (laughs) Like, at one point in time, Kristen Stewart is like, this is really amazing to me. I like it. Like, thanks for having me here. And she's like, oh, you must like it so much because, you know, this is so much better than an orphanage Christmas. (laughs) And people don't, like, even if you are an ignorant like completely separated from the real world person, you still don't say stuff like that. It it was yeah. so unrealistic to me. And that's not the warm fluffiness. That is a tone of comedy that does not work in this movie. And I think if you strip that away and you have all the daughters and the two parents be real people with a sense of pathos to them rather than just our main character in that moment with Daniel Levy, because Daniel Levy is a goofball the entire movie except for that moment but if you and i think you can keep that in because that's his character being a a, a goofy guy but if you have all like the mom the dad jane to some extent Allison Bree, brie like they're all kind of cartoons yeah they're not like and they're not just quirky they're not just um you know individuals like luke wilson in family stone is a goofball and he's like really chill and kind of a stoner, but he's like, he's such a character and all these other people are just like either from Jane. It's just, I'm, I'm kind of ditzy and the weird one. And she comes in the room and is like, hi, I'm kind of the weird one and I'm okay with everything. And then, um, Alison Brie is, I don't like this. I don't like that. I'm here. And that is how I feel all the time. And Mary Steenberg is like, I want everything to be perfect. And also, you're an orphan. I'm going to point that out a lot. Yeah. And then the dad is like, I'm concerned with politics and a perfect family. And they're just making caricatures. And it doesn't make a complete movie when you're talking about the seriousness. Because you can have like a father who is conservative and who wants his family to be perfect and expects perfection of them and is like too into politics but isn't... Living in a separate world, and I feel like all of those characters live in a separate world than the one we're in. And so, what I would do is I'd strip all of that weird facade that they've created around these characters to make them jokes and make them real people. Yeah, and um, that makes the movie work for me.
3: Uh, I agree. Uh, I don't think I could put it any better. So, why don't we just take a break now and air high five and end this first half uh, on a high note? So, yes. let's take a little break. Welcome back and welcome.
1: To trope talk. Trope talk. Ryan, what kind of trope did we have in this movie that you'd like to talk about today? Uh, the X. The X. I I think specifically we should also bring up the parent like approved X.
3: Oh, there's multiple X's in this movie.
1: Yeah. This movie, we have two X's. We have Aubrey Plaza, who plays like the hidden X, but mm-hmm. the the I would say the most emotionally complex and I would almost say. Like, there's that moment where you meet an ex where it's it's very feral, where <laughs> you're, like, smelling out their emotional, like, pheromones, and you're like, hmm, I'm trading eyes. You're an important person in my person's past. Hmm, there's, like, some weird competition right. that doesn't exist but does exist. Right. And they're meeting when K-Stew and... Uh, Mackenzie come out of the bathroom and they look at Aubrey Plaza who shows up. It's like, and you know, everyone knows, everyone knows, but isn't saying it's, and it's such ex. a good, it's a good scene. A great moment.
0: Riley. Mm. Harper. Mm.
2: Uh, sorry. Um, Riley, this is Abby. Abby is my orphan roommate. We, I am an orphan, but we live together as friends, um, like acquaintances. Oh, yeah,
3: Nice to meet you. So I'm just gonna sneak oh, on by sorry. you guys.
1: And then who's the other ex in this
3: film? Uh some guy. Connor? <laughs> yeah, so we also don't get <laughs> Dave? At, yeah. She dated a guy in high school and the parents love him and wish that it, things worked out for Mackenzie Davis and this guy, but it obviously Because he looks like a senator's son. Yeah, he really yeah. he just looks like a safe bet. You know, he's a nice guy. And the movie doesn't really get at like was the relationship a sham? Was it a front? Was it real? No, I think the movie does. Yeah,
1: when when they basically they hang out one night and we get a good night between the two of them in front of the bar when they close down the bar and he's like he doesn't get why she broke up with him. And so it wasn't a sham. He felt like it was a real good relationship. Did she? I think she I mean what what we are given to believe is they broke up probably because she didn't have to pretend anymore to herself anyway that she was gay and she's like i'm just gonna start dating the person i want to date which i assume would be abby and break up with him
3: because it was long distance this is why i honestly just feel uncomfortable criticizing elements of this film is like to me i'm like well i don't understand what you were thinking it's too ambiguous for me of of a character detail like Was there any interest in him? Was there some interest in him? Was there... I think, um, I mean, we talked about this in another film, but I
1: don't think you, as a human being, as a heterosexual male, need to worry about whether she actually was attracted to him or not. I don't think that's a question that this movie really cares about. I think it's just, were they romantically involved? Yes.
3: I I guess. That's my point, is that to me, I don't know. No, it's it's they, ambiguous they, to me. They
1: dated for I had, I a know long they, period of time. I know
3: that they dated, but was it a thing that was she was she in denial about her true feelings, or was was her relationship with him authentic? And is her spending the night out with him in this movie is it something that she's interested in pursuing, or is that just her catching up with someone? Yeah, I can see
1: from from that perspective how
3: like we want their relationship elucidated a little bit more. Because at this point in the movie, she's ignoring Kristen Stewart. She's spending the evening out with him, and you know we see a lot of body language that she seems to be into him, like touching the arm and laughing and being yeah, very. Yeah, but
1: it's also ambiguous body language, which I would like in in a lot of movies where it's like maybe she's just more affectionate like that, but it could be seen the wrong way if you were looking through it with a particular lens.
3: Yeah. Yeah, because at at that point, when it's 2 in the morning, she's not putting on a front for anybody. She's just spending the evening out with her ex-boyfriend. And she's ignoring her girlfriend. So to yeah. me, it sounds like you seem to be more interested in him than in Kristen Stewart right mm,
1: now. I, I that is that is taking the complexity of that issue and boiling it down to a point. For me, I'm like, oh, it could be many things. It could be that she just doesn't want to be at home right now. And but so- it's her.
3: But if if we're agreeing that it's her ex and their relationship was totally legitimate and they actually had real close feelings with each mm-hmm. other, then I think her spending that time with him is not okay. I think it's wrong uh, to spend to okay, be out so, to be out at a bar with your ex till two in the morning, ignoring your girlfriend. No, okay, that's not okay. But that's ju- that
1: part, just that part. Okay, because like you can you see can hang ex out with your and ex. hang out with your ex, but sp- out at a
3: bar till two, <laughs> ignoring your girlfriend.
1: Yeah, sure, and but I think that's that's okay. at being wrong, like in this movie, she's making a poor choice, and I like characters that make poor choices. But what is I think what the movie fails at in this regard, and we, we need to talk about the trope here. Yeah. okay, <laughs> but we are, we're talking about the X. We're okay. What I think this this trope represents is a life that would be so much easier for you in regards to your interactions with your family. The idea of just doing what is easy for everyone is embodied in the X that everybody already approves of. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm trying to think of another example of this where it's like, oh, I could just say yes over here and it fixes all of the problems that everybody else has with me. But it doesn't do anything for your own. You're choosing the easy way out of a hard situation. And that's what he represents. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I would have liked to know whether she was like still kind of attracted to him, which this movie kind of hinted at. Yeah. Um, But... At the same time, I also, I also bought into the fact that, like he, he seemed like a good character. They kept giving him like lines where he was like, "Hey, I know your mom set us up, but I am interested in you." And so his motivations were very clear. Yeah. Um. And the fact that she didn't say no just because she was afraid that he, like, she could have just said no, and not had it at all bring up the fact that she was gay. Mm -hmm. Because that was what she was afraid of giving away. And she doesn't do that, which does imply that she's like, you know, maybe it would be easier for me overall if I let my parents or him think I was into him. And that's really not fair to Abby. Yeah.
3: And that's a lot of complexity for a movie like this. Right. A movie that gets so... Christmas rom-com-y. I think a movie
1: that, again, does this well is The Family Stone. Mm-hmm. Where you have, like, there's so many competing things going on with Matthew Mc- uh, Dolmet Maroney's character, where yeah. he he wants the ring from his mom to propose to this person that nobody in the family, like, really wants, but he's only proposing to her, and he doesn't really love her, but he wants to basically get married before his mom dies. And it's like this, it's this beautiful web, but he's also fallen in love with her sister, and, but doesn't say it until this moment. And the moment that he, like kind of commits to it is like oh are you going to cheat on this woman that we don't like but that would make you kind of a like a douche and it's like there's a lot of competing things But I understand on. why. I know. And and that's that's the thing. The uh, I think the trope of the ex is one that either creates it, I think it's really good for a movie and Aubrey Plaza does that well and I wish it would have like like Kristen Kristen Stewart ends up bonding with her but I wish there was a little bit more antagonism or fear from Kristen Stewart at first, where she's like, this person represents something big to my person's past.
3: Yeah, I I think I would have preferred the movie going all in on Aubrey Plaza, just kind of... Get rid of the other X? Well, I would say keep everything, but have the resolution of the movie of Aubrey Plaza ending up with Kristen Stewart and being mm. like, just saying, you know... I got to be with someone who can be honest with me and you can have the movie end with like Mackenzie Davis doing everything else that she does and not losing Kristen Stewart as a, like, Losing the game, but just kind of like she may have lost the girlfriend, but she gained her courage to be herself. Sure. And I would have preferred that. And Aubrey Plaza as this ex is this catalyst for all the characters. That's what a good ex character can do is like right. really rile people up and really get them thinking about past mistakes and past issues and right. who they were.
1: And that I so even if. Um in, in your scenario, even if like Abby and Harper end up together at the end of the movie, I think leaning far more into what the ex brings up, because for me, it would have been so much better if Harper and what's Aubrey Plaza's character's name? Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> if they hadn't seen each other for years and years, and if Aubrey Plaza like knew about the two of them and you wrapped that into the plot, not where she like held it over their heads, but if she was like if she was the reason why Harper had such a hard time because it was bringing up all these old feelings and she never really gave it a shot with Aubrey Plaza and threw her under the bus, but we didn't find that out except until Harper's Harper confesses it or something. Yeah. Uh, like that would have been a crazy more interesting plot. Yeah. Um, And you're right. That is what the the X brings into a situation in these movies is it? it brings up all of our past... Loves, but also our past flaws because it's it's that that bad dream of I don't want all my exes in the same room talking about all the the things that are imperfect about me
3: (laughs) it's a it's a nightmare uh perfectly represented in four weddings and a funeral when the table that Hugh Grant is sitting at is we find out at the end of the scene all of his ex-girlfriends that's right
0: Charles was vile he insisted on cracking jokes all the time I was ill
3: just trying to cheer you up,
0: do you? Who's oh, that, Veronica? Which Veronica? Charlie?
1: Remember Bombay. When that- Charles
0: and I were going out, he told me he'd had this interesting journey around India with vomiting Veronica. I, I think that was it.
1: I, I don't remember ever
0: mentioning it. Maybe, maybe I did. Oh, come on, Charles. I don't think I've ever been out with anyone less discreet.
3: Oh. <laughs> Great comedy, Mr.
1: Curtis. And. I think this movie shies away from that in both a good way but an unsatisfying way because when Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza are hanging out at this uh, bar that has like kind of some
3: like drag karaoke going on. um, Okay, so they do this song at drag karaoke and they do this Christmas song and they're like, alright everybody sing along I've never heard of this Christmas song, have you? No, and I, I turned to Kelly when we were watching and I'm like, this is the David S. Pumpkins of Christmas songs <laughs> It
1: totally is
0: What is Christmas? Christmas is for caring What is Christmas? Christmas is for sharing What is Christmas? Can't you guess? Christmas
1: is for ah, Penis there is something so tavern-y about that pub where I'm like everybody's singing Christmas songs together. This isn't the normal night out that I'd want. But if I went to that and was singing some like Christmas songs with some queens in a tavern drinking a beer, like I haven't been in a tavern yeah. drinking a beer for such a long time. Like that sounded like like add a couple hobbits into the room and it's mm. would be the perfect day for me right and now.
3: This is a moment in the movie where Kristen Stewart and uh, Aubrey Plaza are getting along really well. That I'm in, they're being friends and they have chemistry, real chemistry. And it's the same feeling I had in Enough Said when I'm just watching these two people interact, and I'm like attaching more of it. I'm attaching myself to them as if I'm on this date with Aubrey Plaza, and that's really fun for me. And Uh that's what's fun about romance films is that you feel like you're in the romance while you're watching it, and you get to experience the romance. From a first-person perspective, and it's that's what that's why you get real, legitimate warm fuzzies. Um, and I got that with the scenes with Aubrey Plaza, which again is why I'm like, you were great in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got that between Chris and Stuart and Mackenzie Davis. Not that the actors weren't doing enough or the direction wasn't doing enough. Is that there wasn't enough writing. There was just there's just something more magical between Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza, and that's why I rewrote the movie the way I wanted to rewrite it. (laughs) And I have this question for you now. At the beginning of the
1: film, we have Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis. They're in Pittsburgh, and um, they're looking at Christmas lights, and at one point in time, before they go home... It's such a goofy moment. Harper is like, "Hey, Abby, come on, climb to the this like um construction stuff and get to the top of this roof and look at Christmas with me. And this is how I see Christmas in this really romantic light." But the rest of the movie we have like <laughs> Harper is a wild card because you set that up where she's like able to climb a building and convince her girlfriend to climb up this building, which is kind of illegal. And but that's fine cuz that, that makes her a fun character to me. And then she invites her home without having told her parents that she's out and then springs it on her and then stays out with her her boyfriend, she's a real wild card. Which, she's but a she, wild card. But she's also afraid. Exactly. Which That's... Like, is kind of a competing
3: characteristic for and, me. And, you know, human beings are inconsistent and yeah. uh-huh. uh, contradictions. But this is so... Your, your psychological realism doesn't work here, whereas it works other places. Right. And... That was that was one of the things where um, I was just like, "Mm, I don't know. And then
1: so we we like Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza, but other ex-boyfriend and. God, I was hoping other
3: ex-boyfriend was also secretly gay. That would
1: have been so much better. Right. About a quarter of the way through this movie, Ryan and I were thinking like because at the end, everybody has like realizations uh, that they like the mom wants to do karate, which is a lame realization, I think. (laughs) But these characters all seem like they're hiding something it would have been really interesting if like all three, I I don't think it should have gone so far that like all the characters were gay, but I think it would have been really cool if all three of the daughters or Jane as well came out Mm -hmm. and they were given permission by their like younger sister finding the courage to do it. I, it just would have been a more interesting film if it was
3: like, if there was more to that moment. I figured out Another movie to compare this to. And I think we've found what it should have done. It should have been The Family Stone meets In and Out. That's what this movie could have been. Because the characters in this movie are so ridiculous that they belong in In and Out. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're just like small town weirdos. And what works about In and Out is that you have perfect actors like Kevin Klein. Perfect. Doing (laughs) doing satire. Right. Where it's we know that they're cartoons and we're Mm -hmm. all in on the cartoons. Right. But this movie is not embracing the satirical nature. And they're just taking these characters, taking removing them from a satire and placing them a genre where they're not given any kind of satirical gas, gasoline. Right. And what you have is something that's just totally dissonant. And we hear their performance and like, ah. This is, I think it would have to commit. I don't want to combine them.
1: I want to say commit one way or the other.
3: Yeah, because a movie like In-N-Out has heart. It does. But it but its, it's method is through Zaniness. sheer satire. Yeah. Very zany characters and very, I don't know, heavy-handed performances, and that's how it works is that they commit to that. Mm-hmm. And all the actors here in this movie are committed. Alison Brie is committed. Yeah. But she doesn't have the proper... She's not placed in the proper way. It's like you took a professional soccer player and said, "Hey, can you go dunk?" <laughs>
1: it's like, well, I am an athlete. Great. Yeah. <laughs> that that ex boyfriend thing is. I I I just I, just before we leave trope talk, I want to say that parents do this. Like, well, I don't I don't know if your parents did, but no, not, I do they not don't
3: think they had a prayer for me.
1: <laughs> not not where they set you up with somebody like like, at a random dinner without telling you, that's pretty arch. There's so many arch moments in this movie. But the thing where, like, I'll go home... Or I used to. um, My parents don't do it to me now that I'm married. <laughs> but where my dad especially would, like, lean over to me and he'd be like, hey, so I saw this person the other day. She looks like she's single. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And he's like, it's just same. saying. She looks... I mean, she's available. Have you talked to her recently? And I'm like, no. <laughs> she lives 600 miles away from I me. think parents... It's a way for you to connect with your kid and to say, I care about this part of you. And I And there's
3: something vicarious about it.
1: Yeah. It's nothing it's always going to be annoying, but I don't think it's mean. I think it's just something
3: that some parents can't help but do. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably do it to Theo. Yeah. I I mean, he'll he's who knows what kind of love life he'll have someday, but I can just imagine being so excited about the first relationship yeah, like yeah. oh well what would you guys do like where'd you go well, like well, tell me everything and then like years
1: down the road you're like I remember those times they were great you should reinvent them for me <laughs> yeah but as, as many problems as you had with this movie if if you had to choose would you give it a rom-com Oscar
3: Blammo yes I would what would I give it um You go first. Well,
1: I liked the costuming a lot in this film. Kristen Stewart looks s- <laughs>
3: smoke
1: smokin'. like during that party uh, at the end like smokin'. she looks basically like the female James Dean. And Aubrey Plaza also looks smoking. Very much movie. so. And I I really liked um like I wanted the style uh, I mean I can't pull off a dress but like the jackets that um that Mackenzie Davis wears in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, And like everybody was dressed perfectly for their roles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like Alison Brie's dress was like very like stern, but Mm -hmm. beautiful, um, which was basically what her character was playing. The way that Mackenzie Davis's outfits evolved is she became more, I'm going to say more heteronormative and, or at least more femme. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kristen Stewart went the opposite direction Mm -hmm. with her clothes Um, I mean, not at the beginning, but as soon as they got to the house where she just like pushed that like lesbian boundary where she's just like, that's right. I'm wearing a like weird Ascotty, like but thin tie right now open with like an open shirt and a blazer. She's like, get out of my way, Ellen DeGeneres. I'm kicking your style. But again, she like brought like this Catherine Hepburn look that was so stylish that I was just like you belong in this genre taking up space. Like that's how good she looked in this movie. Yeah. And so I have to give it to best costuming, even down to Victor Garber's like sweaters and the zany kind of dress that Jane wore. I was just like,
3: all of you are perfectly dressed in this film. And so best costuming. So I really like Jane and I really like Daniel Levy and I would consider them side characters i don't know how else to like categorize them but they're doing something for the film that's very necessary of just having like characters that bring in the flavor to yeah the
1: movie. But, like even even though she is a cartoon i like if only her and only levy were as goofy as they were but the rest of the characters were more normal i'd be like Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and this, this happens all the time in most movies where you have the kind of firecracker side character mm-hmm. um, bring in the flavor, usually Judy Greer. <laughs> you know, like 27 dresses, you got zany Judy Greer over here, but, you know, the more normal characters are main character. And every once in a while, you have one of those characters be the main character. I'm thinking like a Hugh Grant
1: in Two Weeks Notice.
3: Yeah. 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 Have, but only every once in a while. But I, I don't know. Is this allowed? Best side characters? like i don't have a better way but you know what i mean no by yeah, that. yeah
1: but you're not saying like before you gave notting hill best ensemble cast
3: yeah like, so i'm like excluding everyone sure. but jane and daniel Levy. yeah best zany side characters i would say yeah
1: those levy's <laughs> like thing in this movie is he's taking care of all the pets that case do is supposed to be taking care of for her job and we slowly see him over the course of the movie, kill the fishes yeah. and then have to go buy new ones. And it's really funny. And he's also tracking everybody. He's like at the beginning of the movie, it sets up this like fun conceit where he can track anybody's location. Cause he's just a computer wizard, but he's also a publisher, which ties into Jane at the end of the movie. Yeah. I like that they tied those characters together.
3: So there's something about those cartoony characters working in this mm-hmm. film, but Alison Bree's cartooniness totally broken. doesn't work. Yeah. Again,
1: I want to be explicit. She pulls it off super well. It is nothing to do with Alison Brie. She's a good actor. It's just the direction she was given and the choices that were made for that character which she is a part of, but they were pulled off well. They were just the wrong choices.
3: Yeah, it's kind of like if we were doing like have you ever have you ever done a music clinic when you perform in a band? like in like a scholastic setting. And then you have these panel of experts, like analyze your performance Uh, and like inquire. Yeah. So it's like, if I did a clinic for this film, the cool band, (laughs) if I did a clinic for the film, I would just kind of be like, Allison, you can, you can leave. Um, we're going to talk to the director about this. And just like, I have no notes for the actor. Yeah. I have only notes for the director and the writer. Don't
1: don't you feel like such a there's there's one of two places to be in that room. You're either the
3: one who leaves or the one who stays. It's a much better feeling to leave. <laughs> I did a I did a jazz clinic and um <laughs> we did our performance and the one of the judges was a drummer uh and and so I'm a, I'm the drummer and he was very old and was a gentleman jazz drummer where it's the kind of drums where you know your your elbow never gets up past uh-huh. anything it's there's a lot of this. sweeping yeah and he's like so what kind of music do you listen to and i'm like um dance music what music dance music dance music i'm like you know like electronica like <laughs> and he's like well my note for you is you should be listening to more jazz music. I was like, oh. And I did listen to more jazz music, and I'm here to say that I'm not a jazz drummer <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you just bring up that I want to talk about? I don't know, but I, I would like, there's a major aspect of this film that I think we need to touch on first, if that's okay.
1: Oh, no, I, the yeah. last thing I want to say about your zany characters, uh-huh. Jane, she, the one of the best things about the movie is she keeps telling people about her crazy, like, you know, Patrick Rothfuss, George R.R. R. Martin type book that she's writing. Yeah.
3: And both of us were like, dude, let's bring her to D&D next week.
1: Yeah. 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 And she like her character, super cool. Love that she was writing this book and she actually gets it published at the end. And I don't know, that was something where I was like, see, this is perfect for this kind of movie. You guys needed more of this. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, what was the thing you
3: wanted to bring up? So the whole conundrum of mm-hmm. the film is that Mackenzie Davis can't come out to her family, right? Um, she's nervous of what it'll do. So practically, she's nervous of it scrambling the the, you know, the political stress that her father's under and sure. her whole family's under because and and s- subtextually scrambling
1: their relationship.
3: Yeah, and you know, whatever whatever conundrum she would bring to her parent, whether it was a coming out story or something else, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That you know, if your family member is running for political office. It's really stressful, and no one's in a place to like deal with a big, you know, narrative change for the family. So makes sense. Uh, yeah, it would suck if like you know uh, a scandal happened to a
1: politician. Like, it would be really hard if it was like even the
3: I don't know leader of our country. That would be so weird. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it, it, some people can handle it, <laughs> some families. Uh, but the bigger thing is that. All of the daughters in the movie are afraid of disappointing their parents and they and most specifically their dad. And they seem to be really nailing this home in their in their fears is that love in their household was conditional and if they didn't live up to a certain standard then they wouldn't have their father's love. And Which seems
1: to be true.
3: I disagree. I don't buy that for a second. I don't see it. I don't see this conditional love of him withholding anything. Like, I, I can see this standard that he wants his daughters to succeed, but for not a more abusive, neglecting, repressive thing of not loving them. Well, I don't, I don't see. I it. don't
1: know. I mean, that's what it feels like is not loving it's to a child sometime. And I think this all culminates in Alison Breeze scenes when she's in the same room as the dad and Mackenzie Davis, where. Alison Brie is like, hey, dad, what do you want me to do? And he's like, just go stand with your family and look pretty. Uh, Harper, I'm going to need you over here. Mm-hmm. And it seems like what he used to do was do that with Allison Brie. And yeah. now
3: he's shunted her off to the side. That seems more about approval and achievement, but not love. Right. But when, when you feel love from your
1: parents in a sense of approval, I, I saw that as being a legitimate thing in this movie.
3: I understand that psychologically. I just don't, I don't, I don't put the two together. That, like, what is she afraid? She wants to tell them that she's gay.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: She's afraid that he won't love her because she's gay. I th- I think that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and that he'll reject her. Well, that he'll... as
1: as soon as she's a chore for him, he's going to want to associate less with her.
3: Yeah, is what she's afraid of. I didn't. I didn't get a lot of practical matter from their family of specifically what that she's fearing. happened at the
1: dinner table. Harper, did you see that the Bennets are here? uh uh-huh. Yeah, we just ran into Riley. Did you hear she's doing her residency at Johns Hopkins? I
0: should have her look at my mole. No, um, I hadn't heard that.
1: It's very
2: impressive. Her parents must be proud and relieved. I know,
3: that lifestyle choice. <laughs>
2: Such a shame.
3: I don't buy what I'm watching. You don't you don't buy him as a character feeling? I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I'm around a lot of conservative people. I'm around a lot of people who have thought like this. Mm -hmm. I'm around people who He didn't seem like like that person. I don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy what you're doing. And this is one of those things where it's like, I'm assuming that the writer does. That this is what how they see those characters. And for me, I'm like, I don't I don't see it. I don't believe it. And it's not I don't think I'm in denial about it. I just I've seen it in other movies that I did buy. Yeah. I I get that. Um there was a point in time where he was doing his his mayor
1: speech and he was we see we catch him later listening to it in his office, which again makes him out to be like a cartoon who like like people do this. People rewatch what they do online because they're insecure and they want to like feel that, I guess. But he's like um, what we're based on is um, faith, values and tradition. And like, I think if you've grown up in a family where you've heard him say things like that over and over, not just the speech, but like that thing about, oh, so glad that we didn't have to deal with that with our daughters, like that could completely build in you a complex that this person is not going to love you as much
3: you need to get more way more specific about it because that's what the uh, in and out does this movie could have used an extra 15 minutes because in and out you have someone like um the well for brimley no the principal um oh. bob newhart <laughs> yeah and bob newhart like everyone all the characters in and out in and out have different kinds of bigotry mm-hmm. if i had to be kind of mean about it sure um, and it, ignorance as well. His is in a fear of what other people will think and he's this principal of this conservative town and he's just like I don't know what people are going to do with this. I'm afraid that, you know, the school board will react to it or the town will. Well, react he's also to afraid it. of everybody becoming gay because
1: of like the influence of a popular person.
3: But but even at the beginning of the movie when he's first talking to Kevin Klein, he's like you're not You know, right? Because then that would mean I would have to deal with this and I don't know what to do with it. And that you get there's just there's a specificity to his ignorance Mm -hmm. and to his anxiety and to his fears where it's like I hear where you're coming from. Let's talk it out because I think if we can just talk for a little bit and just You're gonna be less work on this, we can we'll figure something out. But Victor Garber's character in this, I don't get where he's coming from because they're so afraid of saying Republican, like they're they're intimating that he's a conservative, but I don't know what kind of conservative is he like Ted Cruz or like Rand Paul? Is he like, is he like a Kansas governor or is he? I just don't get what Sh- kind of sure. I think I think what this movie does
1: in that regard is it's so afraid of people having conversations if they're not our main characters. I mean, they bring on Aubrey Plaza, um, but. Like, the parents don't say how they're feeling about their daughters. We just get it in, like, side bits. And so, like, when when the dad is told all this information about, like, Sloan is getting a divorce, right, and uh, Harper is coming out, and... Like he, all he does, which is realistic, but it's not good for drama, is he leaves and he goes and sits and he thinks. Yeah, and it's
3: like, if this is a book, then we can jump into his head. We can start figuring this out. Right, but it does really nothing for our characters. But me as a viewer, if the central conflict is that she needs to come out, I need to know specifically why that's a problem for the antagonist. Sure, and I I, or why it's a problem specifically for her. Yeah. And that's that's part of
1: the thing is like in this afterward of this movie, we we see like the whole family kind of like having a life together and all the fears that Harper had end up becoming um, realities of happiness because she was afraid the family would break apart. But it just brought everybody closer together, which is a good ending. But with the movie not committing to any of those characters being away, it felt prescriptive where it's like if you're afraid, like, don't worry it could turn out like this which i want a happy ending but it would have been you're right better if these characters had more feelings that we got to know in more direct senses where like yeah like i guess maybe it would have been a little bit more obvious if the dad was like you know like if he really was at that dinner table and he's like oh i'm so glad that none of my daughters are gay like that would have been really obvious but it's it's something like it would have been more interesting if he actually knew Harper was gay, like from a young age. Like he, fa- he, like he, maybe he was the one who found the letter, right? And she was the one who lied to him, but he always suspected it of her, right? But he was living in denial this whole time.
3: Another movie that does this much better, and it's totally unfair. But Carol, uh, gets at a lot of this stuff, but there's so much more. There's more cheating in it because it's set in the fifties, sure, and it's just it's a society about all of that being repressed and uh-huh. none of that is allowed to be out whereas these characters i don't i don't buy them like is it do you have a religious problem with it do you have a personal problem with it do you yeah, have a political problem away from with the
1: specifics a lot in this film and, and i think
3: that's cowardly
1: yeah i agree like because robin was watching this movie and like her her coming out story is her coming out story so i'm not going to like really talk about that on on the radio but when we were when we were having a conversation just about this trailer when we watched it she was in the room and she's just like i get it people still have to deal with this problem but a little bit less so right now and She's but and sh- so, what she was mainly saying is she wanted a movie that like normalized a lesbian relationship in a Christmas rom com, yeah, which this movie is not doing. No, um, but at the same time, I would say that her, like she has a, a, a point where if Mackenzie Davis's character is having this problem, we need to know
3: why in our society right now, exactly. And In N Out does it, it's saying uh, of a time of the 90s, this was the perspective it's satirical, it's ridiculous, but this was totally the perspective then. And this is kind of like, it's, it's so not helpful to be obscure about it. Like if, if it is religious, let's get it out on the table. Let's, let's have the conversation so that we can, we can actually deal with it. And I feel like because of movies like in and out our conversation with Rachel, it's like we we got to talk about a lot of these experiences that we had. Like you and I being at a Christian college, we had problems with this. We 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 ran into religious repression and how this can create so many family conflicts and so many so many reasons why there are people are afraid. And so if it's just religious, do it. Yeah. Say it. I won't as me as a Christian, I won't get offended if that's the storyline you're saying. And even if it's just like let's say it's vanity or yeah. something like
1: let's say let's say the dad just wanted to make sure he appealed to the most amount of people and he didn't want to cut off voters by like his family being just a little less than prototypical that would be fine and we get to talk about that because you don't need to make the dad a character who's like basically the the dad is a is a quote-unquote antagonist in this story because he wants his life to look perfect. Yeah. And But if we don't know what that means, like if we don't know what perfect means to him, then
3: Harper's struggle becomes less real. And if I don't understand this stuff about him, I'm just going to write you off as a character and I'm going to think you're a bad person. Because yeah. I don't get to know any of these things, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't get to know you, and you don't want me writing you off, and that's and that's why Harper and Aubrey Plaza and
1: Kay Stew are all people that we can relate to in this film and feel like real characters because we get, we get, we get the heart of who they are, even if it's just Aubrey Plaza talking about like people won't stop come asking her to diagnose things. Yeah, and that's like a thing every doctor or psychiatrist or person deals with and it's super annoying and it really elucidates her character and the dad is kind of a character but since he is cartoonish and since he's surrounded by cartoons and the movie really wants to say like look I'm not saying you're a bad person for wanting to be wanting everything to be perfect I'm just saying that it's not good (laughs) and like that's so like I want to feel that way too. And I want to talk to people and be like, look, you're not being evil. You're just not being the best you can
3: be. And that's why, but, I, but it doesn't make for good drama. And that's why Bob Newhart works so well in, in and out is just kind of like, we get it. Like we know that you're not <laughs> that, you don't see them that wrong. You're just really misinformed on this, and you just need a little bit of rehabilitation. But you're not a bad person. We sure. don't think you're a bad person. You're just kind of misinformed on this thing. Right. But I don't know if he's misinformed. I don't know if he's bad. And in, uh, in this movie, yeah. I, I I don't know enough. And that's why I feel so weird about this movie. It's like you're being really transparent about a lot of things, but you're being really cowardly about other things. Right. Which is you know kind of.
1: Harper in this film. But um yeah. <laughs> but that being said, I I know that we've like kicked to this movie a little bit, but I'm sure that there's somebody that you would fall in love with.
3: Oh, would I? I don't know if I'm going to pick Jane or Aubrey Plaza.
1: Jane. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Um talk talk talk, talk the difference.
3: Jane is clearly a nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, she writes fantasy and uh, Sarah's written, again, I'm bringing in my wife here. Sarah's written fantasy. Lauren's written fantasy. Her whole family's all writers, but it's just kind of like, there's something creative about Jane that's just fun and charismatic and Uh she's weird and she doesn't mind being weird and she likes being herself. And I don't know. I, I like that, um, kind of, uh, honesty, (laughs) you know, it's just, (laughs) you're a real person and you, you, you give no flying fucks about what other people think um but Aubrey Plaza is just damn cool in this movie. She's really cool and she's fun. Yeah. Like she's
1: chill in that way that you're like we can have a beer but she'll also very subtly point at you and you know make the people singing come over and sing with you. Yeah. And it's just like that is a that is a fun person to be around. Yeah. What about you? Wait, you didn't pick.
3: Can I have both? Let me have both. Please.
1: Please, please. Okay, but just as it's a holiday season. Thank you. Um, I, uh, so there's a scene in this movie where Kristen Stewart and uh, Mackenzie Davis, before they go to the, the Christmas house, which is just what I call the big brick house that yeah. her parents live in. They climb the, uh, what is that construction equipment called? I always forget the name of it. It's not stanchions. It's... Um,
3: the, um, infrastructure around it. God, the, I worked in construction. For the a
1: while. the big ladders with platforms. Yeah. Okay. They climb those. They get to the top of the house, and Kristen Stewart is dressed in like all black. She looks like a grip basically, <laughs> um, and she falls off the roof and is holding onto the gutter. And she looks inside and sees like a shining esque, um, <laughs> uh, a bit of like Christmas kink going on, where there's a woman. With like a Santa, a sexy Santa outfit on. And she has a whip and there's like a reindeer sub person there. And it's like this kind of funny, it's a really funny scene early on in the movie. And she falls off the roof and lands on one of those inflatable Santas. Nobody in that scene am I falling in love with. I just had to bring it up. (laughs) Um, For me, it's Jane. Because she seems like a lot. She's a little over-energized, but I think... Jane falling in love with the right person who loves her for who she is, like, will give her the freedom not to feel like she's every like she's. I feel like Jane is one of those siblings who's just like okay with being kicked and used. And I just really want to treat her well
3: because she's super cool.
1: And so I'm going to go with Jane. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, Well, I I, want to, you know, for my last word, I want to commend the filmmakers because that the story that they're telling here feels really personal and they're getting at some really um important truths. Yeah. And so I don't want to say that this movie has no value. I No, it I, really does have value. I, I do have a lot of respect for what's going on here. I just think a lot of things in practical filmmaking terms just didn't work and just it just fell apart. So
1: I will say that it shot beautifully though. Yeah. Like and, technically it's good.
3: Yeah. So I, I give it, you know, the two and a half star review and it's a thumbs down, but it's just kind of like I wish I could give it a, a thumbs up. I wish I could recommend this movie. I can't, but I will say there, are, there are there are, there is an honesty here which you know I do appreciate. So this is good because I'm
1: going to give it a two and a half star review and give it a thumbs up. I recommend this movie mm-hmm. because I don't think it's really good. I think it's entertaining enough for your holiday season and will give you some warm fuzzies. It's not a movie I'm going to return to, but it's something where I'm like. I didn't, I didn't feel like I wasted my time watching it.
3: Yeah. Uh, You know, this is something, this is an aspect to indie filmmaking that I think needs to be addressed, is that a lot of indie filmmakers, whether it's, you know, about personal stories like LGBT stories or, you know, childhood stories, anything, uh, where a lot of the time they just kind of lean on deep psychological truths and just thinks it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. And I am going to voluntarily say, I am head of the class with that, with the movie that I made, is that I just, with the filmmaking that I did, I worked with the actors. I worked on the scripts. We both worked on the script. I worked with the actors to get the heart of the story going, but I wasn't thinking about the movie cinematically. I was Mm -hmm. thinking about, okay, how can we best get this storytelling told? Which is why I really appreciate Rachel and Michael, that they They worked so well with me and with each other that I'm really proud of what they did. But I'm kind of mad at myself that I didn't think on... There's just the other half of filmmaking of like, you're still making a film. You're still doing cinema. I remember us having like... uh, This was very hard. And as a
1: producer, the hard thing about working with indie films sometimes is you have limited time limited budget even if you're working with a bunch of super talented people there's sometimes only so much you can do Mm -hmm. and at one point in time I was like we should make them like be in a food cart not a coffee shop Mm -hmm. just because it's more interesting it's more local and you were like that seems like a lot I want to do a coffee shop and because you were really concerned about the story and I was like concerned about the other half, like making it. Yeah, the look, the, the look, the, the film,
3: the how it feels, what it, what you're seeing.
1: And generally speaking, you and I are flipped on that front where yeah. you're like, okay, we need to bring out this in the film. And I'm like, well, what about the story? Yeah. And it's just something where when you're young and you really have something to say and you want to say it well because it means a lot to you. Or if you're an independent filmmaker and like whatever you're saying is very personal, it's hard to think outside that box if you don't have enough A, time, or B, money, and those two are generally inextricably linked when you're working on a movie, it's it's hard to do both of those things. Yeah,
3: and film is kind of like architecture where it's like the design can be really great, but uh, you've got to nail the actual building and construction of it. And if you don't, then your beautiful design on paper totally falls apart. Right. And so what I'm saying is for all the emotional truths that you're getting at i totally get it i was totally there i've I've been there as a filmmaker um i just think uh, we all need to hold ourselves accountable and the construction part is really important too and i know that you'll do better next time with the construction process you you will I, i i hope that the next film you're gonna take the same attention to emotional detail great you uh-huh. you def- you definitely get it, but I just need you to get better at the mechanics of the filmmaking here because something's just not gelling. I and honestly, I do actually think that is a um, a writing problem, not a filmmaking problem.
1: Because for, yeah. for me, I think the the heart issue wasn't an issue in this film. was it was, yeah. it was yeah.
3: how you married that with the ephemera. I guess. Yeah. So all that to say is, you know, if, if we're out here and we seem to be bashing a film that you guys really like. We 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 hear ourselves and we don't wanna be, you know, kicking the film in the groin. We we totally have yeah. respect for it in, in certain ways. You know, we're in the happiest season
1: right now. We are. Um and so let's pick another holiday movie, huh? Let's strip down
3: our list. I don't how could we do that?
1: Okay, so we've pared down our list, uh, which we realize that next week we'll need to expand just to holiday movies, there's, holiday rom-coms. There's a lot of holiday rom-coms. Most holiday movies are kind of rom-coms.
3: But the the majority of them exist on Hallmark, and, you know, it, it's hard to curate that list.
1: Yeah, because there are—hold on, let me look this up. Mm, 4.5 million of them. Yeah. Yeah. So we we only have a list of 10 right here, but we'll expand it next week. And just for the month of December, we're going to focus on some holiday ones. All right. Um, Ryan, give me me that number between one and 10. Roll them bones. One. I know nothing about this one. Four Christmases.
3: Four Christmases. Have you seen this? Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon.
1: Okay. Those sound like people that would be on a rom-com together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Great. Well, um, it was really cool to watch a movie that has just come out. Like Mm -hmm. it it felt like we kind of went to the movies and saw a movie that just came out and I was really happy to watch it and watch it with you on this most tired of Friday morning. Yes. Yes. Um, this will be coming out Sunday. So I have two days to edit it. And Ryan, the only thing that's getting me through is your love. Your love. It keeps me editing.
3: What can people do in the meantime to help us out? Oh yeah, that's right. I always do this wrong.
1: Um, they can find us on Instagram or Facebook and just give us, give us a like or a love or like we have a lot of cool stuff on that Instagram page. Um, you and Sarah have both been like lighting that thing up recently with cool quizzes or like fun cocktails to make with your movie, which we're all stuck at home. So we've all become our own best bartenders recently so check us out at romcom gents or give us an email at romcom at gmail.com and please do send us new holiday movies
3: oh tell us what we got to see
1: like i i need my brain expanded in this the most happiest of seasons hell yeah hell yeah i love you ryan <laughs> <laughs> i love you kelly yo covey yo i don't know why we're doing covey all the time covey merry
3: christmas covey merry christmas covey here's your present covey to all the boys I loved before during Christmas time and Thanksgiving, too. To all the boys I loved before, Colin, a Christmas covey. Yo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bye. Bye. And this is where we will say oh, goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for
2: listening to our review.
1: Right and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. See you next week on The Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms.
3: Oh, your fly is down. Zip. Thanks.